Book Three, Chapter Ten of the Heavenly Twins. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Laura Riley. The Heavenly Twins by Sarah Grand. Book Three, Chapter Ten. Angelica had been baptized into the world of anguish. She had assisted at horrid mysteries of life and death, and the experience was likely to be warping. She had fled from the palace, first because she could not bear the place any longer, and secondly because she felt imperatively that she must see Diavolo. He had been in bed and asleep for some time when she went to his room that night, and awoke him by flashing a light in his face. He was startled at first, but when he saw who it was, he remembered their last quarrel and the base way she had deserted him by going to stay at the palace, and he thought it due to his wounded heart to snap at her. "'What do you mean by disturbing me so late at night?' he drawled plaintively. "'Bringing in such a beastly lot of fresh air with you, too. You make me shiver.' "'Don't be a fool, Diavolo,' Angelica answered. "'You know you're delighted to see me.' "'How nice you look, with your hair all tousled. "'I wish my hair was fair like yours. "'Oh, I have such a lot to tell you.' "'Get on, then,' he said, lying back on his broad white pillows resignedly, "'or go away, and keep your confidences till tomorrow. "'If you would be so good as to kindly consult my inclinations, "'that is what I should ask,' he added politely. "'Angelica curled herself up, on the end of his bed, and leant against the footrail. The room was large and lofty, and the only light in it was that of the candle which she still held in her hand. She had a walking jacket on, over an evening dress, and a hat, but this she took off and threw on the floor. "'I've run away,' she said. "'I walked home all alone.' "'What, up that long, dark hill?' he exclaimed with interest, but without incredulity. The heavenly twins never lied to each other. Yes, she answered impressively, and I cut across the pine woods, and the big black shadows fluttered about me like butterfly bogies, and I wasn't afraid. I threw my arms about, and ran, and jumped, and breathed. Oh, she exclaimed, after holding your breath for twenty-four hours, and a house full of gaslight and groans, you learn what it is to be able to breathe freely out under the stars in the blessed dark. And there was a little crescent moon above the trees, she added. Diavolo had opened his great gray eyes and looked out over her head through the wall opposite, watching her with enthusiasm as she cut across the pine woods. And how did you get in? he asked. At the back, she answered. They looked into each other's intelligent faces and grinned. Everybody is in bed, she added, and I'm half inclined to return to the palace and come back tomorrow in the carriage properly. I shouldn't do that, said Diavolo, feeling that such a proceeding would be an inartistic anticlimax. And it's tomorrow now, I should think. He raised himself on his elbow and peered at the clock on the mantelpiece. Angelica held up the candle. 
it's two she said what do you do when you first wake up in the morning turn round and go to sleep again diavolo grunted i always look at the clock said angelica but i want to tell you you know after you said i was a cyclone in petticoats diavolo nodded so you are he remarked well i am then angelica retorted have it so only don't interrupt me i can't think why i cared she added upon reflection it seems so little now and such a long way off is it as far from the point as you are diavolo courteously inquired ah i'm coming to that she resumed and then she graphically recounted her late painful experiences including the bishop's charge to sir mosley menteith and poor edith's last piteous appeal to heaven and earth for the relief which she was not to receive and did she die diavolo asked in an awestruck whisper being less sturdy and more sensitive than angelica he was quite shaken by the bare recital of such suffering not while i was there angelica answered i heard her as i came out she was calling on god then they were both silent for some moments after this angelica fixed her eyes on the candle and diavolo looked up to the unanswering heaven full of the vague wonderment which asks why 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 there is no law you see angelica resumed either to protect us or avenge us that is because men made law for themselves and that is why women are fighting for the right to make laws too i'll help them diavolo exclaimed will you said angelica that's right shake hands having solemnly ratified the compact angelica boldly asserted that all the manly men were helping women now including uncle don and dr galbraith then she thought she would go to bed of course she had flung the door wide open when she entered and left it so and happening to glance toward it now it seemed to her that there was a horrible peculiar kind of pitchy black darkness streaming in oh diavolo she exclaimed i'm frightened i daren't go alone you frightened he jeered after dancing home alone in tip dark through the pine woods too there were only birds beasts and bogies there pleasant creatures she said but here behind those rows and rows of closed doors there will be ghosts of tortured women and i shall hear them shriek her terror communicated itself to diavolo's quick imagination and he glanced toward the door apprehensively then he deliberately arose put on his dressing-gown and slippers and lit a candle by which time his face was steadily set come he said i'll see you safely to your room diavolo you're a real gentleman angelica protested for i know you're in as big a fright as i am diavolo drew himself up and led the way their rooms were far apart it having been deemed advisable to separate them when they first came to the castle at which time there had been a curious delusion that distance would do this the first part of their progress that night was nervous work but they had not gone far before the new aspect which familiar things took on by the light of their candles arrested their attention the light makes great-grandpa wink 
said Angelica, looking up at a portrait, and Venus has put on a cloak. She's wrapped in shadow, said Diavolo poetically. They were talking quite unconcernedly by this time, and in their usual somewhat loud tone of voice, fear of discovery not being one of their characteristics. They were bound to have awakened any light sleeper, but it so happened that they passed no occupied rooms but their Uncle Don's. He, however, being up, heard them, and opened his door on them suddenly. They both jumped. "'What are you two doing?' he said. "'And why are you here at all, Angelica?' "'I didn't think it delicate to stay at the palace any longer under the circumstances,' she answered glibly. Lord Don was struck by the extreme propriety of this reply. "'And may I ask when you returned?' he said. "'Yesterday,' she answered. "'And I've had nothing to eat since.' "'Oh,' he observed, "'and you've not had time to remove your walking-jacket either.' He looked hard at her. "'I should like very much to know how you got in,' he said, shaking his head. The heavenly twins looked at him affably. "'Well,' he concluded, knowing better than to question them, "'I suppose you know where to find food, if that is your object.' They both grinned. "'Come along, Uncle Don, and we'll show you,' Angelica burst out sociably. "'Yes, do,' Diavolo entreated. "'Come and revel.' The heavenly twins never worked on any regular plan. Their ideas always came to them as they went on. Lord Don felt that this was really claiming a kinship with him, and a picture which presented itself to his mind's eye of himself foraging for food in his father's castle with the heavenly twins in the small hours of the night appealed to him it was an opportunity not to be lost very well he said putting his hands in the pockets of the short velvet jacket he was wearing and preparing to follow the twins led the way holding their candles aloft and descending the stairs in step but exactly what the mysteries were into which they initiated their uncle that night, nobody knows. Only they were all very late for breakfast the next morning, and when Lord Don saw his sisters, he listened in silence to such explanations of Angelica's reappearance at the castle as they were able to offer. Angelica herself forgot she was not at home, and came down to breakfast yawning unconcernedly. The exclamation of surprise with which she was greeted took her aback at first. She had intended to send a carriage, early in the morning, for her maid Elizabeth, and to walk in herself with her hat on when it returned, as if she had come in it. But as she only remembered this intention, when Lady Fulda exclaimed, "'Why, Angelica, how did you come?' She was obliged to have recourse to the simple truth, and after answering blandly, I walked, Auntie, she left the matter there for others to elucidate at their leisure if they chose to make inquiries. But the accustomed trouble with the heavenly twins seemed insignificant at this time compared with other perplexities which were pending at the castle. The old duke had been very queer lately, he had been dreaming and seeing things, as Diavolo exclaimed to Angelica, "'Storms and what dreams, ye holy gods, what dreams!' 
Father Ricardo said they were the miraculous temptations of the devil, the implications being that the poor old duke's soul was more specially worth wrangling for than those of less exalted sinners. The one dear wish of Father Ricardo's life was to be mixed up in something miraculous. He was too humble to expect anything to be revealed to himself personally, but he had great hopes of the saintly Lady Falda, and certainly, if concessions are to be wrung from the infinite to the finite by perfect holiness of life and mind, she should have obtained some. She had become deeply read in that kind of lure under Father Ricardo's direction, and had meditated so much about occurrences of the like that it would not have surprised her if she had met Our Lady anywhere, bright light, blue cloak, supernatural beauty, indefinite draperies, lilies, sacred heart, and all. She had, in fact, thought too much about it, and was becoming somewhat hysterical, which raised Father Ricardo's hopes, for he was not a scientific man, and knew nothing of the natural history of the human being and of hysteria. And besides, by dint of long watching, fasting, and otherwise outraging what he believed to have been created in the image of God, viz. his own poor body, and also by the feverish fervor by which he entreated heaven to vouchsafe them a revelation at morn for the benefit of holy church, he was worn to a shadow, and had become somewhat hysterical himself. The twins had discovered him on his knees before the altar in the chapel at night, and had been much interested in the vain repetitions and other audible ejaculations, which he was offering up with many contortions of his attenuated form. "'Isn't he enjoying himself?' Diavolo whispered. "'He must be in training to wrestle with the devil when they meet,' Angelica surmised. But all this was having a bad effect upon the old duke. In private, he and Lady Falda and the priest talked of nothing but apparitions and supernatural occurrences generally. Lord Don had obtained a hint of what was going on from some chance observations of the heavenly twins, but until the day after Angelica's return from the palace, neither his father nor his sister had spoken to him on the subject. That morning, however, he happened to go into the chapel to see how the colors were lasting in some decorative work which he had done there himself years before, and there he found his father standing in the aisle to the right of the altar, near the door of the sacristy, gazing up fixedly at a particular panel in the dark oak work which covered that portion of the wall. "'Anything wrong, father?' he said, going up to him. "'Dawn,' the old duke replied in an undertone, touching his son's arm with the point of the forefinger of his left hand, and pointing up to the panel with the stick he held in his right. "'Dawn, if it were not for what that panel conceals,' He ended by folding his hands on the top of his stick, looking down at the pavement, and shaking his head. I saw it in a dream first, he resumed, looking up at the panel, but now it appears during every service. It comes out. It stretches its baby hands to me. It sobs. It sighs. It begs. It prays. 
and sometimes it smiles, and then there are dimples about its innocent mouth. Some disturbance of the atmosphere caused Lord Dawn to look round at this moment, although he had heard nothing, and he was startled to find his sister Folda standing behind him, looking as awestruck as the Duke. "'We must tear down that panel,' the old man exclaimed, becoming excited. "'We must exercise, and purify, and cleanse the house. It is that, that,' shaking his stick at the panel, which hinders the event. Bury it deep, bury it deep. Give it the holy rites, and then, his voice dropped, he muttered something inaudible, and walked feebly down the aisle. Lady Falda followed him out of the chapel, but presently she returned. Her brother was still standing as she had left him, looking now at the pavement, and now at the panel, and deep in thought. His grave face lighted with tenderness as he turned to meet her. She was very pale. "'I am afraid all this is too much for you, Falda,' he said seriously. "'No, this is nothing,' she answered. "'Nothing. No human excitement ever disturbs me. But, Dawn, I have seen it myself.' "'It? What, Falda?' "'The child, just as he describes it. It appears there, looking up at the panel, and stretches out its little hands to me, smiling. But when I move to take it, it is gone. My dear Falda, Lord Don replied, with a shiver which he attributed to the chill of the chapel, people who live in such an atmosphere as you do are liable to see things. It would ease my mind, she said, clasping her hands on his shoulder and laying her cheek upon them. It would ease my mind if that panel were removed. There is something behind it. It must be solid masonry, then, he answered, smiling, and, stepping up to the panel, he tapped it hard with his knuckles, but contrary to his expectations, the sound it emitted was somewhat hollow. Then he examined it carefully, and discovered that it was not fitted into grooves as the other panels were, but was held in place by four screws, the heads of which had been carefully concealed by putty, stained and varnished to the color of the oak. "'I will see about this at once,' he said. The message from the palace that morning, sent by Mrs. Orton Begg, had been, "'Edith still lingers,' and Lord Dawn had intended to go there to see the bishop. In times of sickness and sorrow he was everywhere welcome.' but now he went with the further intention of finding Dr. Galbraith. In this he was successful, and they had a long talk about the state of affairs at the castle, and it was finally arranged that Dr. Galbraith should dine there that evening and remain for the night. That panel must be removed, he said, and it should be done with great ceremony. The best time would be midnight, but leave all that to Father Ricardo, and only insist upon one thing, and that is the presence of the heavenly twins. Are you meditating a coup de theatre? No, not at all, Dr. Galbraith replied. Only I am quite certain that if there is any exorcism to be done, the heavenly twins will accomplish it better than any priest. Lord Don, however, remained somewhat uncertain about the wisdom of this recommendation, 
but as dr galbraith had always managed his father's foibles and other difficult matters at the castle with admirable tact and delicacy he gave in the twins themselves soon perceived that there was something in the air during the day several strange priests arrived all looking more or less important but they did not dine with the duke the demeanour of the latter was portentously solemn diavolo tried to take him out of himself but was reproved for his levity and father ricardo and lady falda went about with exalted expressions of countenance and looking greatly in need of food and rest even in the early part of the evening nobody talked much and as the hours dragged on slowly toward midnight the silence in the castle became oppressive the servants stole about on tiptoe and in pairs being nervous about going into the big empty rooms and down the long shadowy corridors alone there was besides a general inclination to glance about furtively as the hush of anxious expectancy settled upon everybody the twins felt it themselves but they were everywhere all the same and if any particular preparations had been made it would have been at the risk of their discovering them the night was sultry and very dark dr galbraith and lord don stood together stirring their coffee at an open window in the great drawing-room it is curiously still said lord don looking out it reminds me of the legend of nature waiting breathless for the happy release of an imprisoned soul i wonder how that poor child edith is i would give i would give anything that anybody could name dr galbraith said slowly to be quite sure that she would pass into peace to-night ah poor girl poor innocent girl lord don ejaculated and then he said as if speaking to himself how long o oh lord how long we are so powerless we accomplish so little the great sum of suffering never seems lessened do what we will they were silent for some time after that each occupied with painful thoughts and then dr galbraith spoke with an effort to change the direction of them a storm to-night would be most opportune he said but things of that kind never do happen opportunely lord don rejoined just as he spoke however a brilliant flash of lightning lit up vividly the precipitous side of the hill and the whole valley beneath them for a moment let us hope it is a happy omen said dr galbraith toward midnight the various members of the household who were privileged to be present at the coming ceremony began to assemble in the chapel but the very first to arrive found that the heavenly twins were before them and had secured the best seats for seeing and hearing the chapel was dim and even dark at the corners and at the farther end there being no light except from the candles which were burning upon the altar four priests were kneeling before it at the rails and a fifth came out of the sacristy presently and passed in it was father ricardo and as he made the genuflection it was seen that his face was irradiated by profound emotion he remained on his knees before the altar for some moments then he arose and at the same instant the chapel glowed in every colour of the prism 
it was merely the play of the lightning through the stained-glass windows, but the unexpected effect, combined with the electricity in the atmosphere and the tension of expectancy, wrought upon the nerves of all present. The heavenly twins snuggled up close to each other. Lady Falda's lips began to move rapidly in fervent prayer. Angelica noticed this, and as she watched her aunt, her own lips began to move in imitation, either involuntarily or in order to see if she could work them as fast. But now the attention of all present became riveted upon the priests. Father Ricardo descended the altar steps, and two of the others followed him into the sacristy. They returned in the same order, but Father Ricardo was carrying a basin of holy water and an aspergillus, with which he proceeded to sprinkle all present, murmuring some inaudible adjuration the while. One of the strange priests held an open book, and the other carried some common carpenter's tools. During this interval the lightning flashed again, and was seen to play about the chapel in fantastic figures before the black darkness engulfed it. A long, irregular roll of distant thunder succeeded, and then, after a perceptible pause, there was a sound as of hundreds of little feet pattering upon the roof. They were the advanced guard of raindrops heralding the approaching storm, and halted instantly, while the air in the chapel became perceptibly colder, and Dr. Galbraith himself began to experience sensations which made him fear it would have been wiser if a less appropriate time had been chosen to lay the ghost. The priest now approached the panel, upon one corner of which a ray of light from the altar fell obliquely. Father Ricardo sprinkled it liberally from where he stood on the ground, repeating some formula as he did so, and then mounted a small pair of steps which had been placed there for the purpose, and began to search for the screws. As he found them, he cut out the hard putty that concealed them with a knife which one of the priests had handed up to him for the purpose, and when he had accomplished this, he exchanged the knife for a screwdriver and endeavored to turn the screws. But this required more strength than his ill-treatment of his poor body had left in it, and he was obliged to relinquish the task to one of the other priests. The two who had hitherto knelt at the altar now joined the group in front of the panel. All five looked unhealthy and frightened, but the one who next ascended the steps made a brave effort and began to remove the screws. He was a muscular man, but it was hard work, requiring his full strength, and those present held their breath and anxiously watched him straining every sinew. And meanwhile the storm gathered overhead, the lightning and thunder flashed and crashed almost simultaneously, and the rain fell in torrents. Having removed the screws, the priest descended the steps, which he pushed on one side, and inserting the screwdriver into a crevice, prized the panel outward. It resisted for some time, then, suddenly yielding, fell forward on his head, and crashed noisily to the ground. All present started and stared. The panel had concealed an aperture, a small niche rudely made by simply removing some of the masonry. It was long and low, 
and there lay in it what was unmistakably the body of a young child fully dressed. The priest fell back. Lady Fulda's parted lips became set in the act of uttering a word. The duke groaned aloud, while an expression of not being able to believe their own eyes settled upon the countenances of Lord Dawn, Dr. Galbraith, and the tutor, Mr. Ellis. After the fall of the panel there was a pause, during which the very storm seemed to wait in suspense. Nobody knew what to do next, but before they had recovered themselves, Angelica broke the silence at the top of her voice. "'You pushed me!' she angrily exclaimed. "'I did not!' Diavolo retorted. "'You did!' "'I didn't!' Smack! And Miss Hamilton Wells stood trembling with rage in the aisle. Then she darted toward the aperture. The priest fell back. "'I believe it's all a trick,' she said, reaching up and seizing the child by its petticoats. Lady Falda uttered an exclamation. The duke stood up. Angelica tugged the figure out of the niche, looked at it, and then held it to the light. It was a huge wax baby doll, considerably battered, which had once been a favorite of her own. Diavolo came out of his seat, hugging himself and bursting in eloquent silence. Father Ricardo wiped the perspiration from his face. Lord Don bit under his lip. Lady Falda gathered herself up from her knees and stood helpless. Everybody looked foolish, including the duke, whose eyebrows contracted nervously. Then suddenly that treacherous memory of his landed him back in the old days. "'By Jove!' he exclaimed aloud. "'I'm more like Angelica, and less of a damned fool than I thought.' "'Come, Diavolo, this is no place for us,' Angelica cried. She seized his hand, and they both darted into the sacristy. There was a bang, a scuffle, and then a dull thud, but the first to follow was only in time to see eight fingertips clinging for a moment outside to the ledge of one of the narrow windows, which was open. They've jumped out! It's fourteen feet! Hush! Listen! And then the congregation scattered hurriedly from the sacred precincts, leaving the candles burning on the altar, the doll lying on the pavement, the gaping niche and the fallen panel to bear witness to some of the incredible phases through which the human race passes on its way from incomprehensible nothingness to the illimitable unknown. End of Book 3, Chapter 10